I'm going to be preaching from one of those stories that Jesus told, um, found in Matthew 13, verses 44 through 46. Um, This is God's word. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. The parable, um, sorry, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. All of man's glory is like the grass and the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers, they all fall, but the word of God, it it stands forever. Um, So I love treasure hunting. Like, I love, love treasure hunting. I'm so cool that I'm actually, that I actually have a metal detector, um, more than one metal detector. Uh, I'm, I'm that guy where, like, I've had students hide because they were embarrassed. You know, like the middle school drop-off hiding kind of shame because they're associated with me. I'm that cool. I have a metal detector. There's nothing like finding, for me, finding what I think is, I'm sure is going to be a pool tab or like a Coke top, you know, and seeing digging up and, and seeing in there like some gold and then thinking, no, it's, and then pulling out something like a gold ring or finding a, a silver coin or, or anything like that. I love, I love treasure hunting. A few weeks ago, actually a month ago, I actually found the best bottle of my life. Um, not only do I, not with a metal detector, but I also just, this is stuff I do, okay, so you can pray for my family. Uh, I found this bottle in a ditch, actually not far from here, I won't tell you where I found it. Um, I sold it for a lot of money, but I'm not even allowed to, like, I sold it for so much money that the guy will not let me tell how much publicly I sold it for. Uh, and you know when you go in Barnes and Noble and you see those magazines, you're like, who are those people? Like, who reads these magazines? Like, the story of that bottle is going to be in that, ma- I'm going to be that guy. But you're like, who, who is that guy who buys this magazine? I'm going to be in that magazine uh, in a few weeks. Uh, along those lines, I also love Antiques Roadshow, like it's nobody's business. Uh, and Kelly does too. I'm allowed to say that right. Sorry, Kelly. <laughs> uh, if you ever YouTube Antiques Roadshow, the top ten, it's, it's amazing. I've never cried before, but I've come close from, from doing that. But I love seeing uh, on Antiques Roadshow, like, the story of this kind of poor guy who comes in with this Navajo blanket that has been laying on his kitchen chair uh, for the last 80 years or something. And the, the, the host is sitting there and says, do you, do you know what you have? This is the greatest blanket ever. And he, they go and they, you know, you're waiting to see how much it's worth. And it's, he, I think the guy told him, this is older, but he told him, it's like, it's worth like 500000 to a million dollars. And this guy starts crying and saying, but, but no, like, we're poor people. Like, no, this has been sitting in our living or in our dining room table chair. We're poor. And he didn't know that he had this treasure on his chair that's worth a million dollars. But I also love, I mean, I love all those stories. People think that's junk, it's worth 50000 But I, I can't stand, though, when the people bring in something that they think is really, really valuable, you know, that they bought on eBay and the guy promised them that it was real. And they come in and the expert on the show says, oh, yeah, that thing you paid like 10000 for. And they're expecting like, a, you know, a million. And they're like, it's worth like 10 bucks." And the people are like, no, you're, you're wrong. You're absolutely, like, a lot of times they'll say, like, no, you have to be wrong. The guy on eBay told me that it's real. It says so on Wikipedia. Uh, of course, like, 
they know nothing about that field, but in that moment, because they put so much into it, they, they cannot help but believe that the expert is wrong. Here's the thing, though, y'all. We, we all, we're all treasure hunters here this morning. Um, maybe it's shopping and finding the good deal. This is not meant to be insulting. I think I respect this, but I've never met a woman who did not share that she got it on sale. It's true. It's just true. Um, think about the fish, going after that big fish or the, the big deer or whatever. I mean, I could go through every genre and we're all treasure hunters. We're all going somewhere trying to find treasure. Think about Christmas morning. Remember, if you could go back, I mean, some of y'all are in this right now, but remember opening up presents and knowing um, that, that sort of anticipation, you're going to open up the present knowing that next day, like, you're going to be cool forever and your life's going to be changed and you open up the present and you actually got what you wanted. And then what happens like two days later? It's in your garage, getting dust, right? I mean, the, uh, but we're all, we're all treasure hunting all over the place. We're hunting for something. We are searching for treasure. And our garages, I bet, are all probably full of things covered in dust that we thought would be that thing, that, that thing that was going to make things better, right? It's the very way that our hearts were created. We were created for worship. To give ultimate weight and value to ultimate weighty and valuable things. We were created to be people who look for treasure. No matter who you are in this room this morning, I think we can all agree that we treasure things. And we go after and we're on the hunt for treasure. We give ultimate value to things. And depending on the actual value of those things, it affects our lives and affects the way we live our lives. Another side that I'll come back to later is we also long to be treasure. We, we're all treasure hunters, but we also lo- all long to be treasure. So Jesus speaks in parables to, to people like us this morning, treasure hunters and people who long to be treasure. Would you pray with me real quick? Lord, your word says that where our treasure is there, our heart will be also. Would you help us, Lord, to seek first the kingdom of God? Would you help us, Lord, to seek first you? Would you be with us this morning? I know we're coming in here from a lot of different places, a lot of different struggles, tears, joys. Lord, would you, um, by your word, remind us of the good news of the gospel this morning as we not only hear your word preached, but as we partake of the Lord's Supper in a little bit, Lord, would you, would you change us this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. So sort of where we're going this morning as we look at this is the three things we're going to be looking at are first... Uh, where treasure is found. The second thing we're going to look at is what to do if you find it or what it does to you if you find it. And then the third thing is I'm going to leave as a cliffhanger. Pretty crazy, right? Can't give you all of it up front. You know, so anyway, first thing, where treasure is found. Jesus tells this parable to counter the disciples' expectations about the kingdom. The disciples expected that the kingdom would come and it would be obviously valuable to everyone. And they expected the people of Israel to, be, to diligently be seeking after that kingdom because it was so visible and valuable. They thought it would be large and shiny. They thought it would be like, boom. I think we think the same thing. So Jesus tells this parable. The kingdom is like a treasure hidden in a field. And a certain man unexpectedly comes upon it while he's digging and he sells everything that he has in order to buy it. So this first guy, the treasure is hidden. He stumbles upon it. It's not openly displayed for all. Not all see the value of the treasure. And secondly, he finds this treasure unexpectedly. Right? He's in the field. He's digging. He hears something. Huh. There it is. This amazing treasure. 
you know, in that world, there weren't banks. Um, banks were people's fields and yards. So people, you know, they, they, like oftentimes I think people would go away, you know, at least what I've read, they'd go on a trip or something like that. They might not return, they get ill. And there, you know, they, they didn't have, maybe they made a treasure map or something. But a lot of times there would be these large amounts of, of money, their assets, their, their life savings would be buried in fields. So it's actually not an, an, an unusual place to find treasure. <laughs> Because this is where the bank was. It was in people's yards. Um, so this guy, though, is out there in, in the middle of the, the field in a, in a kind of unexpected but a very ordinary place. And he, he runs into treasure. The second guy, in this case, the merchant is searching for the, for the kingdom. He's searching for the treasure. He's, for, he's searching for the pearl. The merchant is looking for a treasure, and, and he finds it. In the first parable... The guy digging doesn't even know there's a treasure in the field. This time, there's an intentionality. The merchant is looking for treasure. And uh, he goes where everyone goes and where you might even find a treasure sitting right in the window where people walk by day in and day out. He went to like a pearl store and there was this pearl that, that no one, but people saw all the time, but everyone missed its value. Like I could tell treasure hunting stories all day, but, and they're everywhere. Um, but like, for example, here's one. I won't, I won't give you the whole. I mean, seriously. So, we won't be here all day. But, but, but you hear these stories all the time where people like just miss it. It's right before their eyes. There was this treasure, but they didn't even know it was there. This guy in Rhode Island a few years ago uh, was he, his thing was he went and looked for like costume jewelry. He bought this fourteen dollar piece of costume jewelry that he thought looked valuable. Um, it turns out he goes home. He's looking at it. He starts realizing, well, this thing is really old. It ends up being a rare quahog pearl, which, if you don't know what that is, you must not be a treasure hunter. I'm, ki- I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I did not know what this is until this. But it was, it's the rare, like the best, rarest of all pearls. It had this 18 karat gold enamel, rose-cut diamonds on it, but it wasn't marked. And he was quoted as you know the value being like 250 thousand to a million dollars that he bought for 14 dollars at, at this jewelry store. And even the jewelry store that sold it, the expert missed the treasure. So here's what you need to know, and sort of the point here, is that treasure is found in the ordinary. It is in the places people walk over and walk by every single day, and they don't think twice about it. You see, life, y'all, it does not happen in the exclamation points. Right? We expect it to be shiny. We expect it to be big. We obvious. We expect it to happen at the best moments, at the exclamation points. You know, like, I don't know. I picture, like, for me, it'd be, like, sort of the, the trip to, to Aspen with, like, my seven and a half best friends, and everyone's laughing at my jokes, and it's there that life is going to happen. But that's not where it happens. It happens in the ordinary. And, y'all, life is normal, it's ordinary, it's mundane. But this is where life is. This is where you find the kingdom. This is where the very best stuff actually happens. It's in the ordinary. It doesn't happen being at every party in the best parties. It happens in the ordinary. And if you miss the ordinary, you miss the beauty, you miss the treasure, you miss the king. See, the beauty of the gospel and the kingdom and of Jesus is that it is so mundane. It's so ordinary. Right? Jesus himself. Here's an example. Jesus himself. He was a man of many sorrows. He was not good-looking. He didn't have great friends, right? His friends were not that great. 
If he walked in here this morning, we would probably all miss him because he was just so ordinary. I mean, I always think like, he didn't even have his own barn, but he didn't even have his own car or horse. He had to borrow a donkey. Isn't that, isn't that how you expect the king to come to change the world? Like having to borrow his ride? So ordinary. So many of us, though, are missing it. And I think it's so easy for me to miss it, for all of us to miss it, because we often chase after exclamation points. But the treasure, y'all, it's in the ordinary. It's being someone who people can have coffee with and talk to. It's being a person who can actually be helped. If you're a helper, can you be helped? It's crying with friends over struggles where there are no, absolutely no easy answers to you. I was thinking, um, I was trying to think of it, like, where are these ordinary but like crazy kingdom moments? It's, it's, and one of those moments for me was, you know, depression is not that rare of a thing. And I was thinking, it's, we had this moment once with one of our friends um, sitting in the middle, middle of suburbia where she just cried and we cried with her over depression. I thought, man, this is so unusual, but this is probably so ordinary. People just don't share with, and like, but that was the kingdom. The kingdom was there. The beauty was there. We did life together. But often we miss it because we're looking for that everything is awesome. It happens over normal meals, over normal conversations. It happens when you repent over time again and again. You know, it happens when your Eric coordinator says, he, and you guys, a lot of y'all know my Eric coordinator. He came to town a few weeks ago. He says, I want to do what you love to do. And guess what I took him to do? Nap. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. We, <laughs> we went treasure hunting, and it was amazing. But, you know, I was thinking, that's so, un, that's so ordinary, but it's extraordinary. It's very Jesus. Do you ever go with your kids? Do you ever say to your kids, take me to do something you love to do? I wanna, do you ever say with your friends, take me to do something that you love because I love you and I want to do what you love? The kingdom comes when you set aside really important things in your life to serve someone else who is ordinary. Um, I, you know, I was thinking, over the years of doing RUF, we do these end-of-the-year speeches, and, and students get to share about the people that, you know, had the most... Seniors get to share, but also I love to hear underclassmen talk about this, you know, share what God's, how God's used these upperclassmen. And you know what? Like, what I no, I've noticed over time is the end-of-the-year sort of, like, speeches... The person that, that, like, student after student normally comes up and starts crying about, like, because God has used them in profound ways, they are not the exclamation point people. It's the ordinary girl who loves well. Or the, the, the ordinary guy who, like, over time was just a faithful friend. And the friends get up and they say, God used you to save my life. And I've, I've sat there and I'm like, it's not the rock star. It's the ordinary person who is faithful. And this is how, y'all, the kingdom works. Where do you find the kingdom? Where do you find the treasure? Here it is. Look around you. It's in this room. It's the ordinary. Um, It's not the exclamation points. So what do you do, second point, what do you do if you find treasure? Or what does finding treasure do to you? So when they find the treasure in our parable, they did not have to think about it. There was absolutely no hesitation. When you stumble onto treasure like this big, it immediately changes your sense of value of, of things. What treasure does is that it revalues everything else in in your life. I'm not I'm I'm not a big yard sale sticker person. Like you know, pricing things for yard sale that's got to be one of the worst things of all time. 
But, it, but in some ways, what, when you find a treasure, it starts to make you put values on these things. The guy who bought the bottle for me, one of the things, one of the things he told me was when he was trying to get me to sell it, which was not that hard. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Delete that so he doesn't know. Uh, was he's like, you know, if, if you're not willing to buy, pay something for something, you probably should be willing to sell it. If you're not willing to invest your own money into something, it's probably not worth that much to you. And there's some truth to that. Of course, he wanted just to buy the bottle. But there's a lot of truth to that. Where are we spending our money? Where are we, where are we, what are, how, what's the value of the things in our lives? Our parable, y'all, is so short, and you're supposed to be hit on the impulsiveness of, of this text, of this parable, because it's so short. They're brief to make a point. You see a, tr- you, you see a treasure that is, is that good, you sell everything. You don't think twice about it. Think about this culture. Think about just finding something and being like, sell- you don't even go to your parents and ask them. That's impulsive. That's crazy. That's passionate. That's nuts. You just go and you sell everything. And that's why it's so short. I think it's trying to make this point. This parable is not just about selling our stuff, but it's about our loves, our passions, our longings. This parable is about our longing for love. It is about what you feel like when you find treasure that you could say, forget everything else I have for this thing, this real treasure. What this parable is, I think, does to us is it makes us stop and examine our hearts for what we are longing for, what we're clinging to. This parable is to cause us to stop and put a price tag on the things that our heart absolutely treasures. Mumford says, when you, where you invest your love, you invest your life. And this is very true. You know, a good test, I think, maybe to ask yourself is where, what are your non-negotiables that aren't really non-negotiables? We all have a lot of non-negotiables that are like, I cannot, this is a non-negotiable. This is my plan. That's a place where you know, like, you treasure. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's a good litmus test. What do you treasure? Is it success? If it's success, it's, it's going to cost you something. It's gonna, it's, it'll be at the cost of integrity, right? If success is your ultimate treasure, it will cost you your integrity. We'll cheat or push those lines to get what we think we have to have. If it's control, it'll cost us friendships, right? We, you can't really let people into the mess of your life because we all have a mess. And to let go of that is out of control. If it's significance, it'll cost you joy. If it's independence, it'll cost knowing love that is costly and beautiful and, and vulnerable, if it's being well-rounded, if well-rounded is the thing that you treasure, being the person you know, who walks up to the tailgate, to all five tailgates, and everyone knows you and hugs you, it'll cost you rest. You try to do everything well, but end up doing probably nothing well. Who is the person that you have to be? Can you take inventory this morning of your treasures? What? You know, what's hard, if you're like me, is that I think I have so many mini-treasures... I have a lot of mini treasures that I love to feed. Um, in some ways, hoping that they'll all grow up to be the ultimate treasure. Like I'm holding on to all these different things, hoping that one of them will be the thing. Um, where is the treasure found? It's found in the ordinary. What do you do when you find it? You sell everything. Luke 12 says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Third point, the cliffhanger. You guys are all hanging on the cliff right now, I can tell. Uh, so the third point is this. Why would you do this? 
So is that extra cliffhanging? Sorry. There we go. Why would you do this? Because that treasure is you, you see. I love slugs and bugs. I love slugs and bugs singing the Bible. I love slugs and bugs. It's a children's album. If you don't have them, I'm going to put a plug in there. I'm not getting paid for this plug. But one of the things I've sung to all of our kids since they were born was, there once was a man who found him a treasure. I'm not going to sing it, by the way, because I, I value my reputation way too much. <laughs> There's very little of it left. Uh, there once was a man who found him a treasure buried out under a tree. He sold all he had to own it forever. That treasure is you, you see. You see, Jesus went after his lost treasure. You. To unpack your treasures, you need treasured. You need an expert to come, and you need him to not just declare you a treasure. You need him to pay for you. In Christ, you have been purchased and bought, not as an object, but as a son or daughter. You are worth Jesus selling everything, including his very own life, to call you his own. He does it with joy. It says in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so, by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And listen to verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Compare that with your treasures. See the value. In Christ, you have a treasure that actually treasures you. In our treasures, we have treasures that sort of become, well, they are dictators that rob us. They don't die for us. They destroy us. All the things you treasure and I treasure that aren't Christ, ultimately, they will destroy us if we give them ultimate weight. Jeremiah says this in uh, Jeremiah 2. Has a nation changed its gods even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. And this is, this is the verse. For, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Saying, my people, they've traded the treasure for a broken cistern. It does hold water for a little bit, but it leaks out. Like it's stagnant. And here they had life, this everlasting source. And they would rather have a stagnant cistern. And Jeremiah, of course, is saying, come back to the treasure. Come back. Christ is a living water that comes and says, drink. You know, Jesus isn't a means to an end. He is the means and, and the end. He is the treasure that treasures his beloved, prone to wander people who, who forget weekly, like daily, hourly, like myself. And he sells all he has with joy for the joy set before him. And this frees us up to be where we are today, loving our friends he has given us today. This frees us up to ask stories of people in this room who are absolute treasures, especially when we aren't being asked ourselves. This frees us up to tell people we're worn out and broken and we need a friend. See, because in Christ, understand, as we follow him, we get to follow him. Jesus will not call you to go anywhere that he has not gone himself. Only one exception, right? He was left alone. The hand of God did not grab his, when he, when he held out his hand. He wore our sins. He experienced the wrath of God for his treasure because they are that valuable. Because you are that valuable. Because you are that valuable. Put your treasure next to Christ. I know it has value to you. It's, it's, I know those things that we treasure, they really are valuable. But it's like, it's not in the same ballpark. It's not on the same team. It's not on the same field. Jesus or our treasures. 
Understand you can only have one treasure. You will sell everything to get one thing. That's how we work. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying this like, I'm not a great dad. I'm, I'm okay dad. Sometimes I'm a good dad. Owen brought me a nice card that said I was a good dad. So, and I loved Owen so much. And he's right there. So I told him I was going to pay him for this. Uh, but one of the things I love to do with my kids is I say to them, sort of play this game where I'm like, by the way, my, my boys are better treasure hunters than me. This is true. And I love treasure hunting with them. But I'll, I'll say something like, all right, Owen or Knox. And Harper, she isn't quite, she's not old enough yet. But I'll be like, you know, like, you know what, would, you know, if someone came up to me and said to me, like, hey, I'll give you, like, 200 metal detectors, like, 100 trucks, 4,000 farms, you know, start going through lazy rivers, tons of, la- countless lazy rivers, your own plane so you can get to all these places. I'm going through this. And then I say to them, and they, they say to me, I, I'm looking at Owen or Knox today, but all you have to do is give me Owen or Knox. And I say to Owen or Knox, you know what they, you know what, you know what I would say? And they say, No. I wouldn't sell him for nothing. I was like, that's right. <laughs> Not even those things, because you are that valuable to your dad. Ken Venturi, um, he, was a golf, he was a golfer who won, I think, like, I want to say 14 times on the PGA Tour. He, he was like the youngest amateur to almost win the Masters. I think it fell apart on the back nine on the last day. He ended up winning the U.S. Open. But in the heart of his career, I'm going to wind it down here. But in the heart of his career, um, he, he hurt his hand pretty bad. He went and got surgery, carpal tunnel or something like that. He had surgery on his hand. He got cut too deep. Um, it didn't really heal right, so he went back. The, the scar tissue was too much. They, I mean, he was like 29 years old or something like that. The doctor went back, redid the surgery. Um, he came back. He was feeling great. He actually won in San Francisco. Like, on the course he played his first round of golf on, he won a PGA event. That would be his last event. Later that year, his hand started getting worse and worse and worse. And so he went back to the doctor, and his dad was with him. So he's a grown man. He's like a 30-year-old something man. And his dad is, is with him. And the doctor says to him, to Ken, he says, Son, uh, you're probably going to have to lose like three or four fingers, and, and you're probably never going to play golf again. And Ken Venturi tells a story. Uh, he says, his dad gave him a hug. He said, grabbed him by his face. He hugged and kissed him and, and grabbed him by his, his face and said, son, it makes no difference if you play golf again. And he said, dad, how could you say that? And he said, Ken Venturi said, his dad looked at him and said, son, you were the best I ever saw. He said, he, Ken Venturi said, he went back to the doctor. He said, do whatever you have to do. Because my dad said I was good. And that totally freed him up, right? I mean, totally freed him up to say, man, this is the power of a father's love. What it does to people. Do you know that love? Is that the love that you're living in? It's only, like, dads are all fallen, we're all broken. God is so much greater than that. And there's only a shadow of Christ's love for you. He comes after his beloved. He lays everything aside. Even though you might be kicking and squirming and saying, I'm not valuable, Jesus says, I don't care what, you're not the expert, I am. I'm going to pay everything for you. Let's pray. Lord God, um, thank you for your grace, which is sufficient for those in this room who need freedom. Lord, would, would your word and your spirit remind us, Lord, how you think of your beloved? Would you free us up, Lord, to be um, who you've created to be? Would you help us to sell our treasures this week? In Jesus' name, amen.